This morning we find ourselves in Romans 7, a great chapter of Romans, a great chapter of Scripture. And we'll be reading that in its entirety. I pray that you would really drill down and listen this morning because there's a word for you here, an important truth for you to understand if you don't already. So hear now the word of God, Romans 7.1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law We're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law... I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, 
but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but that sin that dwells within me. So I find to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin, the word of God. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you with an open Bible with the text meant for us to read and study and understand. We pray, Lord, that you would open this word to us. May the truths found therein transform our hearts and minds, that we would be changed people, that we would be discipled people, that we would disciple others. Lord, may you anoint these lips of clay that whatever is said is honoring and precise in your eyes. In Christ's name, we pray you would open also the hearts of each and every person here and be, give them attention, Lord. Banish every distraction, please, Lord, that people would be mindful and listen to the word and not be drawn away and not be unfruitful soil. This we pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. I have a secret to share with you this morning. It's a secret that I never learned in church until very recently. It would have helped me immensely if I understood early in my Christian life. I would have been even more effective. I would have been even more joyful. The old preachers used to say, your problem is that you don't know what your problem is. You think your problem is your problem, but that's not your problem at all. Your problem is not your problem. That's your main problem. The secret is this. You and I are walking contradictions. The Christian is a walking contradiction. We do not always practice what we preach. We do not always behave as we believe. The Apostle Paul said, I 
do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Beloved, we still sin. The world doesn't understand it either. And will say to you right to your face, and you call yourself a Christian. We're not perfect. We will not be perfect until we breathe our last breath. For now, we are walking contradictions. Most Christians have some point asked themselves quietly or even silently, if I'm a true Christian, why do I keep on sinning? The answer requires us to understand what Scripture says is true of Christians in the threefold application of redemption. We must consider the Bible's teaching about what has already happened to the Christian, what is happening to the Christian, and what will happen to the Christian. What has already happened to the Christian is regeneration, justification, adoption. According to the Bible, when a person becomes a Christian, he's gone from death to life. He has experienced what we call regeneration. It's foundational to our Christian identity. The Christian is a new creation. He's born again. He was in darkness and now he's in light. He was dead in trespasses and sins, and now he's alive together with Christ. He was a slave to sin, now he's a slave to righteousness. He had a heart of stone, now he has a heart of flesh. Regeneration and its fruit, conversion to Christ, signify a drastic change in identity. But! It doesn't purge the effects of our fallenness from our souls and bodies. It imparts spiritual life into the soul. But one's history before regeneration is not changed. This means that the Christian will hate his sin but still might be attracted to the same sins as he was before his conversion. In the new birth, we are effectually called, meaning that the Spirit not only calls us to embrace the Lord by faith, but also gives us the ability to respond to the call. When we place our faith in Jesus, the Spirit unites us to Christ, and we receive the benefits of redemption, justification, adoption, and sanctification, and the several benefits in this life which flow from them. But they're distinct. 
yet inseparable. You don't just get one, you get the whole package, but they're not all the same thing. In the act of justification, a person's pardoned, saved from the penalty of his sins, accepted as righteous in the sight of God. If you're a Christian this morning, you're justified and you're righteous in the sight of God. If you went to heaven this moment, you would plead not guilty by reason of Jesus and you would be accepted into his heaven. Now, remember I said it was an act, an act of God. Justification is an act of God. Adoption is an act of God as well, where we become received and belong to the Lord as sons and daughters. But as those two things are acts of God, sanctification is the work of God. Notice the difference? It's the work of God in which God restarts to renew you into the whole image after Christ. And you are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live unto righteousness. It's progressive. It's lifelong. And so... As Martin Luther said, we're both now sinners and righteous at the same time. Notice the contradiction. What's happening now? We call it the already, the not yet. Well, some people, upon conversion, find that many of the old sins go away and they never came back. When I was converted in 1979, I stopped taking the Lord's name in vain. And I haven't since. I've never struggled with it, ever. But uh, there are other things that come around once in a while and give me a right hook. You too? If anybody's sinlessly perfect here, just, just raise your hand. Oh, I, I didn't see anybody. That's good. That's good. Phew. <laughs> Glad I'm in the right place. <laughs> um, most of us experience a gradual renewal and changing of our desires. We are sanctified as a process, right? And we're supposed to be mortifying our sin, killing our sin before it kills us and putting on righteousness, vivifying that which is good. Wax on, wax off. Amen? Gerhard Voice said this, the renewing activity of the Holy Spirit does not immediately remove all evil from us and replace it with a completely good and holy person. He affects renewal at one point in order from there to cause his renewing and sanctifying work to take hold in increasingly wider circles. You're not getting older, hopefully, just you're getting better. And then when you go home to be with the Lord, you will be perfect. And conversion 
Sin is dethroned, but it's not yet fully exterminated. Sin has no dominion over you if you're under grace, but it still is a present enemy. John Murray said this, Deliverance from the power of sin secured by union with Christ and from the defilement of sin secured by regeneration does not eliminate all sin from the heart and life of the believer. There is still indwelling sin. In the Christian's breast is indwelling sin and the spirit of the living Christ in the same person. You see, And there's a reason why God has not automatically taken sin completely out of us. And it's a good reason. You know it had to be, right? You believe in him, right? You know that he has your best in mind, right? Wow, I don't know. This place sounds pretty dead to me. Um, But a Christian is someone who has been renewed, is being renewed, and will be renewed. They call that justification, sanctification, and one day glorification. And so we die unto sin, mortification, and live unto righteousness, vivification. The not yet is glorification. It hasn't happened yet. Now, there was a group of people, and they're still around, they teach perfectionism. They teach that once you're a Christian, you are sinlessly perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but that hasn't been my experience, nor is it my belief, because perfectionism is pure heresy, beloved. Can I say it that way? There's lots of heresy today. John Wesley, as wonderful he was, and a great example of evangelism, taught perfectionism. And we would say, John, if he was here today, we would say, John, you were wrong. You know that, right? And he says, yeah, now I know that. But I believed it then. As Luther said, there's two contrary captains in you. The spirit and the flesh. And they're in conflict with one another. And so we know that that doesn't go away until we go home to be with the Lord. Until then, he covers us. He covers us. My friend wrote a song. I know the weight of sin. Right? The weight of sin. I know someday I will be free. But for now, he covers me. The weight of sin shall not be released until that time. And so, that's why the ancients said Maranatha. They didn't say, hey Lord, kill me. They said, Lord, come back quickly. 
I want to go home to be with you in that manner. And I want to be in your presence, not in the presence of sin, and not struggle with sin anymore. Be fully free. That's, that's our prayer, right? How many people are walking around today going, Maranatha! Or come quickly, Lord. I think it's just after watching the news that we say it. But that's not why we should say it. We should say it because we want to be free from the presence of sin. Amen? Beloved, let me say this. You are not your sin. You've struggled with a certain thing. That's not you, like Paul said. That's not you. Don't identify with your sin. If you identify with your sin, you will doom yourself in your sin. Right? If you drink a lot, you're not an alcoholic. Struggle with it. Defeat it. But don't confess, I'm an alcoholic. Because you know what? That just puts a stamp on you. Right? And when you identify with your sin, you become your sin. And that's not what you want to do. Paul is saying, hey, that's some other guy. That's the old Paul. That's what he's saying. He's telling you, don't identify it. Almost saying, you know, that's the old Dave. Uh-uh. I'm going to walk in the new Dave. Right? And remember this, when we say we're sinners, we're not kidding. It's not just a euphemism. Some people say, oh yeah, you know, I'm just a sinner. But they don't really mean it. They think they're righteous, they're self-righteous. No, 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 God saves real sinners. People that say, I'm a sinner, and mean it. Luther said to Melanchthon, pray hard, you're quite a sinner. Can you imagine that if your mentor said that to you? I said, I saw you downstairs getting a donut. I said, pray hard. You're really a bad sinner there, guy. You're like... (laughs) It's good to know Christ. It's essential to know Christ. But what's also essential is to know sin. It's called harmatology in theology. Churches don't teach it anymore, but we do, and we will, until they drag me out of here in a box or a new assignment. I don't know, whichever is first to occur. Amen? Amen. you got to have the old gospel. And that's the introduction. (laughs) We have to do this in two pieces. So, because this is true, We need help to see our sin, to hate it, to repent of it, to fight it, and to flee from it. We're in a knockdown, drag out war with our own sin. Not somebody else's, yours. Right? It's your daily task to hate your sin. And do that, by the way, without hating yourself. Because God loves you, and so do I. (laughs) I had to put that in. Uh, Drive a hundred fresh nails into your indwelling sin every day, it's been said. Christ is for us. Now, 
something's happened and it's really amazing. We are freed from the law because we died. Imagine the police, this happened to me in my early career. I had a guy, he was arrested and he had some heinous crimes. And before the case came to trial, he died. And I moved to dismiss the case because he's dead. Right? You can't convict a dead man of a sin, of a crime. The probation officer shot out of his chair and said to the judge, I don't believe it. I want to look in the box. And he indicated that he wanted to go to the funeral to make sure the man was really dead and he wasn't just uh, pulling some stunt. Turns out he was really dead and the case was dismissed. But if you're dead, you can't be prosecuted for a crime against the law because you're dead. Now, marriage, folks, is not forever. It's until death do you part. And when your spouse dies and you live, you're free from your spouse. You know, collect the insurance money and such. After you have a few tears... Then it's time to no, find another. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some folks, usually females, say, I would never marry another one but you. If you go before me, I'm never going to get married again. They say that. Guys say, I don't know if I can say that. Maybe 30, 60, 90 days. No, whatever. Uh, I'm just kidding. You know that, right? But the point is, that the person is freed from the law of marriage by death. What Paul is saying, it's kind of complicated, but Paul is saying this, and we said this last week, you died when Christ died. You died with him, you were buried with him, and you're raised with him. And when you died, you not only died to sin, but you died to the law. And so your relationship to the law is different. You're not under the law as a written code. Because if you were, the law would incite you to sin. Johnny, you can eat of anything on the counter, but not those eclairs. They're for company tonight. Johnny looks around, goes over, and munches an eclair. That's how it works. Don't do this. That's what I want to do. Right? And it has this way of causing us, inciting us to sin. Not because the law is wrong, but because we got bad desires still in there. Why? Because we have indwelling sin still. And when those desires are set on fire, what happens? Temptation. And oftentimes... We fall into sin. So if we had the same relationship with the law, we could not be fruitful because it would incite us to sin. Now we belong to another, Jesus, so we can be fruitful, so we can be productive. By the way, he fulfilled the law for us. We don't have to. If I'm a legalist, I'll never get there, right? So, 
the law does not give us the strength to obey, but the Spirit does. The Christ does. The law is good, but people are not. And the law reveals sin. Paul says, I wouldn't know what coveting was unless the law told me. And then when I learned about it, I became really more covetous. So the law reveals sin and incites sin. And so sin seizes the opportunity. Augustine said, you know, I was out with my friends and we stole a bunch of pears and we fed them to pigs after we ate a few. And we didn't steal them because we needed them because I had better pears at my own house, my parents' house. We stole them because we wanted to feel like a thief. He just wanted to have the thrill, as it were, of sinning. The desire to steal was awakened by the prohibition against stealing. Go to Boston this afternoon. Go to Boston Common. And you see the signs and it says, keep off the lawn. And everybody's on the lawn. Put a sign on a storefront in downtown Gardner. Do not even think about throwing a rock at this window. And somebody's going to say, oh yeah, I'd love to do that. It wasn't even in their head until you put the sign on there. Right? The law reveals and activates sin. And it brings us, however, the recognition of the magnitude of sin. We don't know how bad sin is unless we know the law, right? And we're talking about the law. We're not talking about the law of the land. We're talking about the law of the Lord, which is summarily set forth in the Ten Commandments. It's the ethical, moral laws of God. That's what we're talking about. So we have this inner conflict. We're walking contradictions. We have mixed desires. The law is spiritual, but I'm not. Amen? And so there is a battle between the sarks and the panuma, i.e., the flesh and the spirit. The sarks is Greek for flesh, and the panuma is Greek for spirit. And so there is an eternal, not inter, internal civil war going on in you. Or there should be. I hope there is. Hey, is there a civil war in there? Because if there ain't, that's not a good sign. No Christian in this life achieves a hundred percent desire to obey God. And we struggle with sin. Paul says, and some people think this is Paul writing before he was a Christian, but if you read the context, there's no way. Because there's some people that still teach perfectionism. They still think that they're sinless. First of all, because they 
heretics or because they misunderstand their own life and they don't know the depth of sin, right? It's the desires that are sinful even, not only just the acts. Paul says, bursts out an exclamation, what wretched man I am. He has remorse for his sin. Do you? He says the question, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will? And of course the answer is God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what the body of death might be? Remember the punishment that if you killed somebody they would strap the dead person on your back and you'd be walking around with that rotting corpse on your back and it would be incredibly ghoulish and heinous. And so you can imagine, it's an apt description. We have that old nature just ambling around, ready to come out, you know, but we can now walk with the Spirit because we're now in Christ. We've been delivered from the power of sin. And we died with Christ. And we're not under law, but we're under grace. And so with the Spirit's power and help, we can walk a life worthy of the salvation which we have been given. That's good news. That's why you've got to pray your sanctification. You have to work it and pray it. You got to pray it, always pray it, and you got to work it. If doing a certain thing or getting near a certain thing messes you up, don't do it. If that program, you know, on television or whatever causes you to sin, well, don't watch it. You know, if hanging around with certain friends gets you in a bar room and inebriated at two o'clock, don't hang out with those friends. Right? If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. And that's figurative, not literal. Right? Don't look. As we close, Let's ask a question. Why? Why did God settle up this way? Well, Richard Sibbs has a good explanation. Why are we not healed all at once and completely? What does it mean that we're still subject to these infirmities of ours. Some of Christ's works of healing are perfectly done all at once, but some are done by degrees, little by little. Some of Christ heals the soul of guilt all at once, but there remains the corruption and the dregs of the disease of sin for heavenly purposes. He heals by not healing and leaves infirmities 
to cure enormities. He allows us to be humbled by our infirmities, lest we should be exalted above measure. Peter, for example, benefited more spiritually when he fell than when he presumed. We should retort Satan's accusations when he tempts us to despair because of our sins by reasoning this way. Because we have affirmities, therefore we will pray the more earnestly, forgive us our trespasses. Because we will sick, we'll go to Christ that took our nature not to cure everyone, but to help the weak. Christ does not immediately and perfectly cure our weaknesses because he will have us live by faith. Every day, going to the throne of grace and depending on his promise for the forgiveness of sins. Assuring ourselves that the Spirit is in us. Like David's house, we will grow stronger and stronger while the house of Saul will grow weaker and weaker. Be assured, if the flesh begins once to fall, it will surely fall. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth, truth that transforms. May each one of us ponder these truths. May we understand them. May we live them. And Lord, may nothing be snatched from each believer here. And if there's anybody who's an unbeliever, I pray that you would convert them by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.